Hi, and welcome to the White Hill podcast series. My name is Roger. I'm one of the pastors here at White Hill, and we're glad that you've chosen to listen to one of the podcast messages today. Our prayer is that you would be challenged and inspired to take the next steps in your journey with God as you listen to this message. If you want to keep in touch with more things that are happening at White Hill, head to our website at whitehill.church and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Enjoy this message now. We've got a Bible reading next. Roger's going to come up and share with us. But let me read. Turn to it yourself if you'd like to, but I'll be reading from the board. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water, of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from. Or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here's Roger. Thank you, Rod. Good morning, everyone. And good morning to you online, uh, for those that actually can't be here. Uh, This is a really significant weekend because we've got so many things happening, other than the fact that uh, COVID seems to be hitting us in all big waves and everything else, and uh, whereas I really didn't know anyone who had had COVID, now I feel like I know like 20 people, and it's like, who hasn't had COVID is almost starting to become the reality of what's going on. Well, this weekend, lots of things are happening. Uh, After six months of navigating all of these different changes in regulation, uh, at 10 o'clock tonight, Francois is going to get on a plane, uh, God willing with his wife and kids as well, uh, but at 10 o'clock they start their journey over to Australia and they will be landing on Monday. So if you're thinking about anything at 10 o'clock tonight, pray for them, 
anyone who's done a 14-hour plane trip before with a one-year-old and a three-year-old knows exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, though we've had lots of laughs and jokes about things that might happen, uh, uh, we are just looking forward to him and the family coming and joining with us. Uh, And on top of that, Brad is actually, as we speak, after his episode of COVID in the US, uh, we wondered whether he was going to be locked in there and needing to go for US citizenship, but they're finally letting him out. And he's on a plane right now. Uh, from the US coming back to Brisbane, uh, which is also reason uh, for us to cheer and uh, be excited uh, because it means we're going to be able to start the year. And on top of all of that, uh, we have an intern, a new intern uh, with us this morning, virtually online, G'day Willow, uh, who wasn't sure whether she was going to come up because of all the sickness and spread but thankfully she got clearance. And so, g'day Willow, big shout out to you sitting with Julie at her place, watching her online and looking after our online congregation. But it's a very different reality, isn't it? Um, Go back 20 years and most, well actually, go back 40 years, most of us didn't even have computers at home, know what the internet was, none of that sort of existed. And nowadays, if we wanted to go back and get information then, where would we go? To the library, either the school library or our local public library. It turns out that the New York Public Library has had a phone-in, answer-a-question phone line since 1967, would you believe? And even with the rise of Google and the internet, they still get about 30,000 calls to that service every year. I thought that was pretty remarkable, given it, but people just want to chat to a real person, not just ask Google. Um, Of course, you can still ask Google. But uh, even more surprising is that they found out a couple of years ago that someone had been writing down the questions that they had been asked during this phone Ask a Librarian, the fount of all knowledge uh, service that they have there. And and they're quite funny. Uh, One of them was, uh, what does it mean when you dream you are being chased by an elephant? Uh, Has anyone dreamt they've been chased by an elephant? Maybe fear of elephants, don't know. That was one. Another one, quite bizarre, why do 18th century paintings have so many squirrels in them? Like, who studies 18th century art to see and recognise the squirrels? Here's one. Um, if a poisonous snake bites itself, will it die? Now, I don't know how many poisonous snakes actually bite themselves, but, you know, kids probably would be really interested in that one. Here's a practical dad one. Uh, and before Google, I understand that they might have asked this. Um, They wanted to know how to put up wallpaper. They said, I have the paper and I have the paste. What do I do next? Uh, Do I put the paste on the paper and then stick it to the wall or do I put it on the wall and then stick the paper to it? And they said, either way, it doesn't seem to work for me. Um, So they really need one of those YouTube tutorials in how to hang wallpaper. But the funniest one, I thought by far, was someone that asked, apparently, for Charles... Darwin's book, Oranges and Peaches. 
To which the librarian politely directed the person to the book on the origin of species, which is, of course, his famous work. But anyway, oranges, oranges and peaches, they thought it was called. So uh, they talked to the librarian, her name is Rose, and they, they said, how do you handle questions like that? And she said, in a, in a very lovely librarian voice, you know, everything is a teachable moment. Uh, we don't embarrass people, we just try to answer the questions that they have with honesty, and we try to direct them to the appropriate resources so that they might have answers to their questions that are useful. And I thought, how lovely is that? That this librarian who takes these phone messages would answer even the most stupidest of questions without laughing, without trying to embarrass anyone, but just hearing it, accepting what they had to say, and trying to help them out. Well, our passage this morning, as we head on through John in our Believe series, is one of those times, isn't it? In fact, it's one of the remarkable interactions we see of Jesus and people of his day to try and get some answers for things that were going on at the time, things that they were uncertain about. Now, we come to this passage. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 3 because we are going to be looking through. I'll try and put as many up as I can, but I won't be able to keep it all up there all the time for you. The first thing that happens as we read the opening of this story is that there was a Pharisee, a man called Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, I think it's really interesting because John who authored the Gospel of John, this account of Jesus' life, could have left it anonymous. And for all the dads out there who uh, sometimes have embarrassed themselves by not asking questions or by asking a question and, and feeling like, like I often have when I've asked a question, that you're just an idiot. Of course, that was the answer. Um, you perhaps wouldn't want your name up there in lights for all of... Uh, the millennia to follow, that you were the one that came to ask the question and you got it so wrong. Well, that was the state here. Nicodemus, it says, was a man who came to Jesus. He didn't just come in broad daylight. No, he was uncertain of what was going on. So he snuck out at night, came knocking on the door where Jesus was staying and had this conversation. Now, we don't know whether the conversation was had in the doorway or whether Jesus uh, was able to let him in and they, they sat down. But he came at night because he didn't want others to see what he was doing or what he was going to ask. In fact, in many ways, he probably had a lot to lose because he was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee, not just a Pharisee, but a member of the ruling council. So he was part of the religious elite. He was like the archbishop, the uh, Bible college professor, the lecturer, who's coming along and he's asking Jesus and trying to have this conversation with Jesus in secret to try and resolve the things that he's hearing and what is going on in his life. Now, Nicodemus comes out with his opening lines and he says to Jesus two different, two different things. The first thing he says 
is that Jesus, you obviously have, are a teacher that has come from God. So verse 2, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. So he's come from God, and secondly, he says that the miracles obviously attest that he has come from God. So miracles, signs and wonders, but a teacher from God. Now, both of those things are completely true. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't respond to him and say, you know, Nicodemus, well done, mate, well done. You're, you know, you're on the way, you've, you're on the journey. He doesn't commend him for anything that he says. In fact, it's like he completely passes over it. And I've got to ask the question, why? Why does Jesus sort of, it's almost disjointed from the conversation, come in with what he says? See, Nicodemus has made an observation, an observation of the supernatural in the life of Jesus. But what he's about to discover is that just making an observation of the supernatural is not enough. It's not enough. In verse 3, Jesus replies to him, and he says, Very truly, I tell you, not just I tell you, very truly I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, back up a second, just break up what he's saying there. He's saying to this Pharisee, the equivalent of the archbishop of his order, member of the ruling council, very truly, you won't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. See, just seeing the supernatural in Jesus is not the key to entering the kingdom, Jesus is saying. But Jesus is about to tell him that you actually need to experience the supernatural in your own life in order to see the kingdom of God. And he was basically telling Nicodemus, uh, you're coming up short in your observations. You, you may be partway there, but partway there doesn't get you across the bridge. You are short. Now, there's no small talk, and Nicodemus hears this, and you know what? He's sitting back there, and he's scratching his head. He's thinking... What is he talking about? I'm not going to see the kingdom of God. What does he mean? And what's this being born again? Verse 4, what does he actually say? He demonstrates his lack of understanding. He says, how can I crawl up into my mother's womb and be born? So he's taking what Jesus says quite literally as a, a physical act. He, he remembers, of course, that he was born, but... He doesn't have any idea what Jesus is talking about. Now, that must have thrown him for an absolute six. It's like the college lecturer uh, being asked a question by someone from the congregation, or a preacher being asked a question by the congregation and being totally stumped and not being able to answer. 
being dumbfounded. That's what his position was. Because the Pharisees were the most rigorous who held to the Jewish religion. They knew their Bibles best. They were the most disciplined in their spiritual work and effort. Uh, they fasted multiple times a week. Uh, we read in Luke 18 of one who bragged about that in prayer. And he bragged about all that he gave. He didn't commit adultery. He didn't commit blasphemy. He didn't steal. He kept the law. Their big claim to fame as a Pharisee was that I am clean. I am God's man here for you on earth. Uh, listen to me. They were the most religious, the most upright in the society, both in their lifestyle, in their words, and in their behavior, supposedly. But their biggest flaw was they held to an Old Testament belief that sadly has followed them all the way into current day's thinking. And this Old Testament belief is simply that right living equals God's blessing or equals being acceptable to God. And really, that same thought exists today, doesn't it? How many people here have been to a funeral? <laughs> Most people. Um, now, if you've been to funerals, not necessarily from people from the church, but from people from the wider community, um, one of the things that always strikes me as I end up in some of these places is that in the funerals that I attend, almost everyone, regardless of whether they went to church, had any faith, all of, all of the people that they talk about in funerals go to heaven. It's like a universalism pervades our culture today. Everyone is going to heaven. You know what? The words that I've never heard at a funeral are these. Oh, Frank, he, he got so close. If only he had attended church this one more time, he would have been acceptable to God. Or maybe uh, uh, Liz, if she had have given just $100 more to save the whales, she would have made it. No, no matter what their life was like, in funerals they always say, oh, Liz, she's upstairs sitting around having a coffee, lazing on some beach somewhere looking down at us. Or Frank, he's on the, the 18th tee and he's about to go around for another round. Um, you know, there is all of this concept and idea that no matter what our lives were like, we're all going to glory. So these words to Nicodemus should jolt all of us back a few steps. Because basically, Jesus says to Nicodemus, your extraordinary life is worthless unless you are born again. Why? Because religion or a salvation based on works will bring you up short. It does not save you. It cannot save you. 
you don't need religion to try and work your way there. You actually need life. You know, when a baby is born, there is this anxious moment from delivery until the baby what? Cries or screams. It's funny, babies don't come out and say, oh, that was great. (laughs) They come out and they're screaming their little hearts and their little lungs out as they take their first breath and as they feel air on their lungs for the first time and they're having a bit of pain until they're finally comforted by mum. But the cry, that scream, we know is the start of life. When you're dead, you don't need a new set of clothes, do you? You don't need to have your makeup done or to have a piece of jewelry hung around your neck. When you're dead, you need life. And it's fascinating that Jesus seems to have this category for all of mankind that though we were born once and we are now living, that we are actually dead. We are dead because we stand under a judgment of sin because none of us ever have reached that state of perfection. So, for example, when we go to the parable in Luke 15 of the prodigal son and the father is talking to his oldest son, he says, come and rejoice because this brother of yours who was dead is alive again. And so his brother never died physically, but he's referred to as being dead. When we get to the epistles, the apostle Paul writes to all of mankind and he says to all of us that as for us, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Now, when you're dead, you're dead. You don't need a new set of clothes. You don't need anything else. You actually need life. And that's why when Jesus hears from Nicodemus, he wants him not to be a better Pharisee, just like he doesn't want us to be uh, better Christians or Church of Christ people or Baptists or Pentecostals or Anglicans or Presbyterians, whatever label you might have. He just wants us to have new life. He wants us to be born again. To go from a state of death into a new state of life. And that life is a supernatural life that he wants us to experience. He doesn't want us to experience more religion, more works. He wants us to experience the supernatural in ourselves. Now, he takes this concept a little further because if you're a little lost and you're thinking, okay, I never really thought that I was dead. But at some point, all of us were. At least until we were born again. Now, what does it mean to be born again? Well, thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He takes us to another step. And in verse 5, 
Jesus expands on this concept. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and born of the Spirit. Now, that again leaves us wondering, when you think of water, what do you naturally think of in religious circles? We think of baptism. Baptism is one of the first things that came across my mind, comes across our mind as we think about it. But I don't actually think that here it's talking about baptism because it really doesn't fit with the context of the passage because by the time we get to verse 8, he tells us about uh, the wind blowing where it pleases. You hear its sound and you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. And he's referring there to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit works and acts according to how the Holy Spirit wants to work and act. Whereas with baptism, well, we really prearrange those and really baptism doesn't get followed up as that essential for salvation as John continues to teach through, particularly as we get to verse 16. So what is it? Well, a clue comes to us by the time we go down to verse 10. Because Nicodemus, remember, in his life was a Pharisee, a man who knew the Scriptures. But yet in verse 10, after explaining all these things, Nicodemus is still there standing, scratching his head, not really having any idea of what he's talking about. And in verse 10, Jesus confronts his lack of understanding and he says, You, Nicodemus, are Israel's teacher. You are responsible for teaching all of my people the scriptures, but you don't know it? Why, why don't you understand these things? Now, if Nicodemus was supposed to already know it, that means he must have read it prior to coming into contact with Jesus. And where would he have read it? Not in the New Testament. In the Old Testament. In the Jewish Scriptures. He was supposed to know and understand what was coming. And that's our clue. Because we don't find baptism back in the Old Testament. So we need to look for a passage in the Old Testament that talks about this water and spirit together. And the Old Testament passage that speaks very clearly to us is Ezekiel 36, which Nicodemus should have known. And it may sound familiar to you as I read it to you. This is what it says. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So why are both of these necessary? Why necessary to be born of water and also born of spirit? Well, it's very simple. The analogy that Jesus gives is for water is that it serves a cleansing function. See, when we come to God, when we are born again, 
We need to be cleansed of our sin. We need to be forgiven. We need to be uh, completely have our sin removed from us and done away with its consequences and penalty before God can pour his spirit into our lives. If we're not, then he would be sending the Holy Spirit to come and dwell with us with all of our sin and all that's associated with that. And so we know through the cross that forgiveness and cleansing comes to all. And it's something that as Christians, as people who are born again, we've got to celebrate this and we do every Sunday through communion. Because no matter what you've done this week, no matter how you've slipped up, stuffed up, fallen short, we get reminded week after week of that sacrifice of Christ and how that makes us acceptable to God. It allows us to run into his presence and say, God, here I am. I've got a hell of a week to tell you about. Or to share with him some concerns and needs that are on your life. We can't come into God's presence as filthy sinners because sin cannot, it has no place in the presence of a holy God. But through Christ, through this being washed with water, we're able to be cleansed to come into his presence. But that's only half the good news that no matter what you've done in your past is done away with. The other half of the good news is that he sends his spirit to come and dwell with us. He talks about it here almost in terms of having a, a heart transplant, swapping out the old heart of stone, something that is hard, rough, that is cold, that is, uh, has no feeling to it, that is unresponsive, unreceptive, with all of its sinful desires. And a very special thing happens when the third person of the Trinity comes to indwell every believer. So that if we go out to work or if we go down to the cafe or we're in the car, that no matter where we are, that God the Holy Spirit actually dwells within us and that's amazing. The supernatural God with all of his power, with all of his strength, with all of his might is actually living with us. And he transforms what is dead and lifeless inside of us and breathes air into it and makes it uh, life-filled. He talks about it here, the contrast between a stone and something that is living a heart of flesh, soft, alive, responsive, receptive. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. Two parts that happened in order. One, we are cleansed and then we receive this heart transplant. And so Nicodemus whose entire life was spent about obeying the rules. You know, on the Sabbath, you cannot cook a meal. You cannot do work. You may not uh, say a wrong word. You may not, you know, all of these 
do's and don'ts that he was trying to live his life to be acceptable to God, all of that is done away with. All of that fell short. All of that doesn't accomplish what God wants to accomplish in all of us. And that is forgiveness and salvation. His presence in our life. Now, all of that is the context to one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. John 3, 16. And if I asked you to say it with me, you could probably say it with me. But I won't ask you to do that, just in case we all have different translations we memorized it all from. But we know that God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him would be forgiven, that would not perish, but that we would receive eternal life. With Nicodemus, who comes at night, not understanding what's going on, you can almost see his frustration as Jesus comes on the scene and, and starts preaching this new way of living. He comes to him at night. He sneaks up to the door, making sure none of his mates are looking. And he goes and has a conversation. And there in that conversation, his life can be literally turned upside down. It's interesting, as we go back through the book of John and see where Nicodemus features, he's still a Pharisee and he's still on the council. By the time we get to the middle of John, he's actually almost defending Jesus amongst the rest of the Pharisees, standing up for him so that they don't start having a go. But then he loses that battle and he and likely a friend of his, Joseph, who was also on the ruling council, are the two that boldly go, no doubt with their mates knowing, to Pilate after the crucifixion, to take down Jesus' body from the cross, to clean his body. And Nicodemus is the one who pays for 32 kilograms of spices, of myrrh, and all of those things to bury Jesus' body. Of course, it's all a bit wasted. He rises from the dead three days later. But... It's in Joseph's tomb, who's also a member of the ruling council, that Jesus is buried. It's Joseph's tomb that the stone gets rolled up against. And it's Joseph's new tomb that Jesus rise from to bring life to all of us. Now, I don't know whether this morning, whether you joining us online or whether anyone here in person is in that situation where perhaps you've been living like Nicodemus. You've thought that you just need to live the right way because you grew up in the Christian family and you had to go to church every Sunday in order to hopefully get to heaven. And if that's you this morning, I want you to hear that Jesus is wiping away all of that and he holds out this morning an offer for you and you and you 
and for you online. He holds out that offer of being born again. Not because you're acceptable, not because you've ticked all the boxes, but simply because you say to Jesus, I believe, I believe that God loved me so much that he would send you to die in my place, that I could be saved and that I could receive eternal life. If that's you this morning, I'm going to pray in a few moments' time and invite you into that space to receive from God what he offers free of charge. You could do it now, you could do it tomorrow, you could do it next week. But if God is speaking to you in this moment, now is the time. Don't wait. Don't put it off a moment longer. Because there's nothing that you can do that will make you more acceptable to God than right at this moment in just saying to God, yes, I believe. I believe. And in believing, God promises that you will be reborn, that you will be washed with water and cleansed and forgiven. And he will send his Holy Spirit to indwell you. Now that is an offer that no one can refuse or should refuse because it's 100% free because Jesus has paid for it. Why don't we all bow our heads and uh, just acknowledge that we are in the presence of God, that he knows where our hearts are at. He knows whether we've been trusting in ourselves, whether we've been doing the Nicodemus dance through life, trying just to make ourselves acceptable. If you're in that space and this morning you want to believe in Jesus, you want to be washed and you want to be done with the rule book, then why don't you simply say three things to God? Firstly, just admit and recognize that we are sinners, that we stuff up, that we fall short of his standard of perfection, of holiness, that there are things in our life that we'd rather left in the closet, Admit that we are a sinner. The second thing we do is just to say that we believe. We believe that Jesus came. We recognize not only that the miracles that were done attest to who he is as a good teacher, but we recognize him as the son of God. And that in dying on the cross, that he dies for our sins so that we could be forgiven. We believe. And lastly, we commit. We commit ourselves to following Jesus, to acknowledging Jesus in our life as our Lord, so that we can receive the Holy Spirit and be born again. It's as simple as A, B, C. Admit, believe, and confess. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we are all and have all been on that journey, that none of us can claim in arrogance that we were acceptable because we were good enough. But we know 
that all of us had to come and stand at the foot of the cross and acknowledge that we are sinful and that Jesus needed to die for us. But Father, we thank you that through Jesus' death for us, we know that we can believe and be forgiven. And so we thank you that we can be born again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you live locally here in the Ipswich region, we would love to invite you to come and join us in person uh, here at one of our Sunday gatherings at Whitehill. For more information on our services or our ministries, head on over to our website at whitehill.church. If you're interested also in taking next steps in your relationship with Jesus, please also at our website, hit the connect button and let us know where you're at. We would love to catch up with you either over a coffee or on a phone call to chat with you about where you're at. We hope you've enjoyed watching this message and we pray that God would continue to bless you as you seek to seek Him in your daily life. God bless.